Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And I don't really have a specific topic that I was going to talk about. I mean, I've thought about a number of things this week. Uh, been conversing with uh, a lot of people and exchanging information, adding lots of web pages uh, to the Preparing You site that uh, expounds upon the nature of the kingdom, how it looks, how it works. Dealt with a lot of people who have kind of an approach that's thinking outside of the box, uh, but yet are terribly ignorant of really what the early church was doing, uh, how it correlated with the ancient Levites. Uh, God's plan has always been the same. God's intent is always the same. God is the same. God doesn't change. Nature really doesn't change. I mean, there are certain things that we think of as constants in nature, like the speed of light, and they're finding out that the speed of light actually changes. It's not always the same. We want to think that everything in nature is universal, and it is, but at a much more primal level, an ethereal level. Uh, and it is the nature of God's creation that remains the same. So throughout history, you know, we have phrases like history repeats itself. Man is the same. God is the same. Nature is the same. So you're going to see the same pattern showing up over and over again. And we have two witnesses, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you lay the Old Testament over the New Testament or the New Testament over the Old Testament, you just put them in the same place and you see what sticks up, so to speak. And, uh, you know, you could, you know, computer scientists who graph things and stuff, they can they can go in and they program in information and data and then they see what common factors show up in a variety of viewpoints. One of the problems with the Old Testament is we don't really know what it says. I mean, we know what it says in English. We read that, and some people even read it in Hebrew, but do they really know Hebrew? I mean, the Hebrew people, or, you know, the Israelites who went into bondage, actually lost the ability to speak their own language. They couldn't even read the ancient texts. And they had to relearn the ancient texts and figure out what they said. Uh, the same thing went on when the, the Roman Empire fell. And there were certain authors that saw that the Roman Empire was going to fall, and they wrote about the Roman Empire and how it worked. And then people who worked for Charlemagne came upon some of these writings and tried to figure out and do what Rome did to become great, except for the people who wrote about it didn't really know what made Rome great. Today we have people talking in the political sphere of our country about making America great. Again, uh, the same speeches were given by Mussolini, who was going to make Italy great again, uh, you know, back in uh, the 1930s and 40s. They're going to make the nation great again. Nations are not made great by the leaders. They are made great or not great, not so great, by the people, by the ideas that are in the people's heads and the uh, 
intent in people's hearts. Their heart shall guide their head, and their head shall guide their actions, and their actions shall determine the fruit of their own personal life. And that's why when they say the kingdom of heaven is within you, yes, it is within you, but we don't know if it's the real kingdom of God within you or not until we see what comes of what's in you. In other words, by your fruits, we will know you. And, you know, probably most of the people in America would consider themselves, at least a long time ago, would consider themselves Christians. Yet, if we go back in history and we look at the bondage of Egypt where 20% of everything you did, had to, the value of it, had to go to the government, and we called that bondage, and today, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60% of everything you do goes to the government. I mean, everybody, just about everybody is in a 50% tax bracket. And they don't even know it. They say, well, no, I only pay about 30%. Well, you pay 30% income tax but then you pay property tax. And you say, oh, no, I don't pay property tax, I rent. Well, your rent is as high as it is because your landlord paid property tax. So you portion of your rent goes to taxes. So you add that in, you add the income tax, you add Social Security tax, which is over 14% right there. That's almost 20% just in Social Security tax. And so... Add income tax onto that, add property tax onto that, uh, gasoline tax onto that. And the truth is, everything you buy is as high a price. I mean, a loaf of bread for $3 is $3 because the farmer was charged tax on this labor and the transporter of the good was charged tax. And everybody who worked in the process of bringing this bowl of cereal to your table was taxed over and over again. So the price of everything is as high as it is because of tax. So in truth, you're paying way more than 20% in taxes, and you call yourself free. But you're not free. And you're so ignorant of what a free nation even looks like, smells like, tastes like, that you wouldn't even know it And you probably don't even believe that it's possible. I mean, a free nation, all the taxes are voluntary. That's required in a free nation. If if you have to pay, you're under tribute. The Bible talks about tribute. The slothful shall be under tribute. In every nation where you have to pay a tax to the government, you are in bondage. Now, I'm not saying you don't have to pay the tax, and I'm not saying you shouldn't pay the tax. I think you should pay the tax. But understand that you're in bondage. If you don't understand that you're in bondage, that you're under tribute, that you're back in Egypt again, you need to rethink what the Bible is telling you. Because we were told never to return to Egypt. We were told if if we were elect a leader who could exercise authority one over the other, that we were to write down rules, a constitution that he would have to follow. And one of those rules is he was to do nothing to ever return you to the bondage of Egypt. 
but you're there. And you got there under the watch of people claiming to be Christians. They retur- While you were going to church and singing and thinking that you were saved and that Christ set you free, you were delivered back into a bondage entangled again in the elements of the world. The word world there is constitutional order or system of government. That is worse than the bondage of Egypt. Now, what church could I have delivered that sermon in and not have everybody worked up? They don't want to hear that. They want to hear that we're saved because we love Jesus. We're saved because we believe in Jesus. We want to believe that our ministers are coming in the name of Jesus. But our ministers have actually seduced us into thinking that we're saved and we're free souls under God. When we're not, people say, we have to obey the government until it tells us to do something that is a sin. And then we can disobey government. Okay. Uh, if I know a girl wants to have an abortion, say I had a girlfriend and she got pregnant and she wants to, we want to abort the baby. We don't have the money for an abortion. I want you to pay for that abortion. Okay? I want you to pay for that abortion. Would you pay for that abortion? No, you said, because that's a sin. But the government asks you to pay for that abortion when it taxes you. So should you say, well, I don't want to pay the tax then. So you tell me for sure. You don't have that option. That's not in the contract with you, you and your government. You don't have the option of saying, I don't want to pay for this. I don't want to pay for a war. I don't want to buy a bomb. You know, you know. I had this conversation with some Jehovah Witnesses. I didn't have much time, so I just cut to the chase pretty quick. I, I said, I think it was wonderful that the, that the, uh, Jehovah Witnesses have take, made a stand against going to war. Many of them have gone to jail because they wouldn't go to war. They said they were conscientious objectors. And they were in prison because of that at different times in our history and in other countries. And I said, I commend them for that stand. And he says, but... Uh, what you're still buying the the bullets, still buying the bombs by paying your taxes. You just weren't putting yourselves in harm way, but you were buying the the boat tickets for other people to go over to other countries and put their sons in harm's way. You were paying the fuel for the ships to get them there. You were paying the salaries of the guys who made them go into the military and and go overseas and fight. And they said, well, we have to, because we have to pay Caesar what is Caesar's. And I said, you're right. You're absolutely right. I'm, see, you agree with your adversary. That's the way you do it. And I said, what if I could show you a way where you didn't actually owe the tax that bought the bombs and the bullets for the war that you thought was immoral or unjust? And we could put all kinds of things there. Maybe you think the war is okay, 
but you think abortion's bad. Okay, you don't, you, how can, is there a way where you don't have to pay for your neighbor's abortion? Uh, is there a way you don't have to pay for the welfare of two gay guys who don't want to go to work and they want to live at home and so they live together as gay people and they get two checks, two welfare checks. Uh, I mean, one says he can't go to work because he gets headaches if he has to work. And so he gets, he's gotten on total welfare. And the other one's totally on welfare because he has AIDS. And they live together. And they were complaining that when they go down to the food kitchen, the free food kitchen, they get a welfare check, but they go down to the food kitchen and get free food because they say they don't have enough money uh, for free food. You know, for food, so they go down. They get food stamps, but they also go down to the free food kitchen, and they complain that the free food kitchen mostly just has rice and starches and stuff, which really aren't good for you. But living with a guy that has AIDS in intimate relations, that is good for you. <laughs> I don't know. They're worried about their health, um, and the government. You are paying for these guys. He's too lazy, self-indulgent, uh, immoral individuals. You're paying for them because, and I've actually heard preachers say this, we need to take care of the poor without question. No, no. Jesus never did that. Jesus didn't take care of the poor without question. There were people came to him and asked for help, and he said, "No, I'm not, not here for you. I'm for you know, I'm for the children of Israel. I'm not here for you." But they pleaded with him. They had to plead with him. They had to say, you know, even the dogs get crumbs, you know, from the table. They had to take a position of humility. It wasn't without question that he helped her. You know, I, I think he knew what he was doing. From the beginning, he was setting her up to see if she really had the humility to give us that demonstration. They're telling us that story. I'm sure there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories. I mean, you read the whole New Testament, you read any one of the Gospels in a matter of you know hours. But Jesus' ministry was years, so we don't know all of what went on. So when they tell us the story, it's important. It's significant. The point is, he wasn't going to help her for whatever reason. But he questioned her. And he, and he questioned lots of people. They, they, you know, he said, right away, he said, do you believe? He, he didn't say, okay, you want help? I can give you help. No, he says, do you believe? And the guy said, yes, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. So he wasn't perfect in his belief. But he also knew that he wasn't perfect in his belief. He also knew that he needed help. He took another position of humility in Christ's health to know. So this idea of giving to the poor without question is not true. So what is the questions that we ask? Well, Jesus asked, do you believe? What, believe in what? Believe in love thy neighbor as thyself. I mean, that's one of the commandments, right? I mean, that's, the commandments hinge on that concept. So... You, if you're going to give to the poor, you're going to give to that $10 bill to that guy out the window? 
Did you ask him anything? I mean, he has a sign up there. You know, give to me. I'm a veteran. You know, who's army? <laughs> he didn't say what army. I'm a vet. He just said, I'm a veteran of foreign wars. He could be the enemy. <laughs> you need to ask him questions. Do, do you believe? Now, of course, now he may say, Yo, yeah, 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 I believe. How much you got? <laughs> you got to ask him as if you really wanted to know the answer. You know, Jesus, Jesus he asked questions. They didn't really tell him. Did I tell you nothing? He gave him nothing either. Do you think anybody in the Sanhedrin had health problems? And Jesus didn't just come in there and heal them. When they, when people crossed, everybody who went under the shadow of Peter suddenly got healed? No, it had to be a relationship. With real belief. So, anyway, we've, You've, you've got to have this charity. The government is not charity. Government is force. Until John the Baptist, all the governments of the world were established by force. Not completely by force. They were actually established by contract. Someone, uh, I wonder if I can pull up so I can give you the exact quote here. Uh, people on, uh, on Facebook have been, uh, somebody put me on a couple of groups uh, that have been talking a lot about the early church and and how Christianity works and, and stuff like that. And I'm not going to see some of them. Uh, that maybe I could find it real quick so I could read it to you. But basically, in a nutshell, uh, you know, of course, you get some of the trite sayings that people have, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Yeah, well, okay. I don't know if it's within you or not, and the only way I can know whether it's within you is by what you do, by the fruits of what is within you. Because, you know, I mean, there were people who said the kingdom of heaven was within them, and they were going out and killing people, not just. 10 or 20 or 100 or 1,000, but millions of people died at the hand of people who said that they were the church and that the kingdom of heaven was within you. They killed millions of people, drove them out of their homes, took their homes away from them, gave it to people who said, yeah, you're the church. Can I have one of those homes? <laughs> That's what they did. And they did this for centuries. And then they've been the ones translating the Bible and telling you what the Bible means. But that's not what Christ came to do. One person said that uh, Peter instituted communal living. And I know where he gets that thing. You know, they own all things in common and stuff like that. Uh, but that's not... The, the early church... I mean, for one thing, if you just read the text, of the Bible and start putting things together. It's very clear that Peter owned his own business. He was a capitalist. He didn't go out and just fish, you know, for today's catch. He went out on a boat with a crew fishing. That was big business then. There were guys who went along the shore 
with a little hand woven net and they they uh threw out a net and they caught some fish and they they got enough for themselves and maybe they traded with some of their neighbors to get other things but peter had a boat that's a big thing in those days to have a boat i mean it had to be seaworthy it was out there during storms and uh it had a bunch of men throwing in the net why because you had to have a bunch of men hauling in all those fish they didn't have refrigeration so all those fish were going to get sold that day this is a major industry when they wanted to meet where'd they meet in some little hovel shack of peter no peter had a big house where people were standing on the roof they were all around in the courtyard Peter was well-to-do, just like Jesus was a rich man. I mean, it says he was rich. We all have this impression he was poor. It says, though he was rich, he made himself poor. Why did he make himself poor? Because the Levites could not own a personal estate. And Jesus was coming after his cousin, the Levite. Because remember now, John the Baptist is a Levite. It's his cousin, but he's a Levite. And he's saying, this is the one who's to follow me. He doesn't know he's the Messiah yet. This is the one to follow me, he says. Follow me in what? Being a Levite. What was he doing as a Levite? He was baptizing people. Was there any baptism before John the Baptist? Yes. All throughout the Judaic traditions. They were baptizing. That's why they had a laver in the temple to baptize, to wash but he wasn't using the temple. He wasn't in the temple. And even Peter knew that if Jesus goes to the temple, they could kill him. Well, John the Baptist knew that if he went there, they could kill him too, because he wasn't popular with some people, but he was popular with a lot of people. Why was he so popular? Because he yelled this one phrase? And because he wore animal skins? I mean, because that's all you hear is that Peter, I mean, that uh, John the Baptist is saying, Repent! And seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that's all, that's the total of his sermon. That's all he did is go around saying that over and over again. They, they sum it up in a nutshell. What does seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness look like? Simple. You, if your neighbor has no coat and you have extra, you share. Do the same in needs. Do this the same in everything. He was preaching a government of sharing by free will offering, by charity, by the perfect law of liberty. And he was a Levite. So he owned no property as a personal estate. He owned all things in common because he was a Levite. Because that's what the Levite, Levites belonged to God. They had no personal estate. They had land in every town and in every village. But they didn't own it as a personal estate. They owned it in common. And that's what Christ and the early church did. But not the people. They owned their own property. Because Jesus is a capitalist. And I'll tell you why when we come back to keep the kingdom.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we were talking about, uh, actually we are talking about, is, is Jesus a capitalist or a socialist? Well, of course, I've got a whole article up that says very clearly that Jesus is not a socialist. And uh, I've got, you know, uh, there's one article on socialism and there's another article on socialists. And, and the, the one on socialists, we actually have uh, a quote there. Uh, from uh, in a dictionary, which is the Urban Dictionary. And I had the quote there a long time ago because the Urban Dictionary is constantly morphing and changing. Um, but the, the, uh, uh, the, the one definition of the socialist uh, in uh, that particular... Um, article was it was actually unfamiliar to me I couldn't remember uh, it when somebody quoted it and uh, I said I it, and I knew the definition uh, the definition that there of a socialist or of socialism was incorrect and so I thought like how in the world uh, where did he get that where, where did that come from and uh, so anyway, uh, it ended up that it came from one of our pages, and I didn't even recognize it uh, when he he put it down there. So the uh, uh, thing was is that so then he pointed that out that it was actually from my own page that it was on there. Well, if you go to the page itself. I have a definition for socialism on the page, which is a fairly standard definition of socialism, uh, which is a political or economic system of social organization that advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole, which usually means by the government the community elects. It's not regulated by the individual who's produced you know, I mean, when you talk about the means of production, people are the means of production. And certainly, you know, if you, you know, gold in the ground, that's a means of production. Wood and trees, that's a means of production. So those are the elements of production. But ultimately, a tree doesn't produce anything but what the tree produces until a man comes along and converts the use of the tree to what he wants, a house, a boat, whatever. So man is the ultimate means of production of mankind, his labor, his ability to work. Socialism says your labor doesn't belong to you. Your labor belongs to the community. Where in the Bible does it say that your labor should belong to the community? Even the Levites, their labor did not belong to the community. They did not work for the community. They worked for God. They belong to God. Their inheritance was that they belong to God. And whatever you wanted to give to God, you gave to the Levites, because you can't just throw it up in the air because God can't get it. But there's a great deal of power in receiving the gifts, gratuities, and benefits of society from the people. Is 
the, and, and you can make lots of money. I mean, the government makes billions on that. It taxes the people, makes them contribute their labor, their means of production to them, to the government. Well, the Levites were government, and the people contributed their means of production and whatever they produced to the Levites. But they got to choose what to give. They, they talk about a tithing is supposed to be 10%, but what if, what if somebody gave 9%? What if they only gave 5%? Could a Levite kick in the door and force them to give the other 5%? No. Because it says in the same Bible, they tithe to them according to their service. They should give a tenth share, but they give it to the Levite according to his service. So every offering is a votive offering. That's how they voted. You know, they said, this is my Levite. I'm giving to him because I think this guy's doing a really good job. If he stops doing a good job, I'm not going to give to him anymore. I'm going to give to somebody else. I don't have to wait for election day. I just do it. Now, they did have an election day. Every year they had an election day. It's called Pentecost. They could actually have another election day if they wanted, any day of the year, but they could, you know, reorganize themselves quite a bit at, at, at Feast of Tabernacles, which is in the fall. Pentecost is in the spring. And they were a self-organized government. And the government employees were the Levites. They're the ones that took care of government matters. They took care of the welfare of the people, through a system of sacrifice of the people, for the people, by the people, to the Levites. They belonged to God. They couldn't belong to anybody else. They belonged to God. And even when they were captured, they still belonged to God. Because they already belonged to God. And they ended up being priests in the places where they were captured and taken to priests doing what? Taking care of the needy of society, receiving the offerings of the people and taking care of the needy of society. Rome did this, Teutons did this, everybody does this because you won't have a society and society does not care for its members. This is what binds people together. Nobody nobody should sell themselves a servant to a flag. They may sell themselves a servant to what they believe the flag stands for. But what really bound, I mean, you think about it, Israel, all these people, including Egyptians, all these different tribes, go out into the desert. They're attacked by Amalekites, Malachites, and everybody else. They have a hard time, shortages of food, shortages of this and that, shortage of water, crossing the desert. And they stay together. Why? Well, we we stay together because we burn up sheep together on piles of stone. Uh, that burning up sheep really creates a bond between us and our fellow sheep burners. No. The stones were living altars. Look out amongst yourselves, picking men you trust. A gathering of a council of men was called a gathering of stones. Same word. And you, gave, you put your offering on the stones. 
and actually they say the stones, the Levites, get the kidneys. The word for kidneys, the words of reins of control. That's just a way of saying they get control of the offering. And the offering is burnt up to us. We don't have it anymore. Uh, they have it. They have control of it. What do they do with it? They serve the tabernacles of the congregation, the tents of the congregations. It's all there in the text. This is why the Essenes reading the same Torah, same Pentateuch, came to a conclusion that the animal sacrifice that we see the Pharisees doing at the time of Christ was a fiction and a fraud. And they wouldn't have anything to do with it. Now, they would have Passover. You know, and they burned the sheep up then, but they ate it. They cooked it. And there's, there's, there's a rationale to everything you see in the Bible. But people aren't always rational animals. People are always animals, but they're not always rational animals. So anyway, the, there was this... Uh, Definition that was in the page, it says, A human being who is a socialist believes that the most harmonious state of affairs would be for all to get security and the fruits of success even at the expense of others who have already achieved some financial success. Now, he put that up as a definition of socialism from our page. When right above it, there already was a definition of socialism, which we've already read. It's specifically, this, this idea specifically, was uh, absolutely by human beings which if you look up the link there under human beings, you will see that human beings uh, in the Ballantine Law Dictionary is defined as a monster. Human by birth, but of the lower animals in other areas of its existence. In other words, it bites one another. You know, it's, it's bestial. It's self-serving. It doesn't have the noble characteristics of Christ. It's more an animal than a son of Adam. So anyway, um, we we created a, a, a talk page on socialism, and in it we go through the actual Urban Dictionary today. It says a human being who believes that the most harmonious state of affairs would be for all to get a fair shot at financial success, and they misspell success in this definition on the Urban Dictionary. This belief is not motivated by his own selfishness as a capitalist would have you think, but is in actuality an honorable difference of opinion. And that, of course, is from the Urban Dictionary. And the Urban Dictionary defines itself as a place formerly used to find out about slang, and now a place that teens who uh, teens with no life use as uh, 
Byrne book to whine about celebrities, their friends, etc. Let out their sexual frustrations, show off their racist, sexist, homophobic, anti, insert religion here, opinions. Troll and babble about things they know nothing about. <laughs> anyway, that's the Urban Dictionary's own definition of the Urban Dictionary. So, so anyway, this, uh, uh, the definition was never meant to be a definition of socialism, but somebody jumped on it. And uh, that's one of the big problems is that people use words like capitalism, and they think, well, capitalism is driven by greed. Well, capitalism is driven often by self-interest, but what is your interest? Some people, I mean, Mother Teresa, was she driven by greed? Uh, she She was not driven by greed. She was driven by a desire to help other people. Now, maybe she was greedy for praise, but I don't think so. You know, I never really met her, but she seemed like somebody who was really dedicated to helping out people. It was One of these people was not going to mess around and uh, was going to get the job done, you know, come with her sleeves rolled up, so to speak. But the fact is capitalism allows for greed, Greed is excessive self-interest. Self-interest is not bad. If a child has no self-interest, it won't even suck, and it will just lay there and die. That's what you know we call crib death. They just they they're not they have no vitality to want to live. I mean, that's that simple. Self-interest is not a bad thing. If you don't have any interest in self, you'll just lay there and die, do nothing, veg out in front of the TV. You know, you just you don't want to do anything. You'll be slothful, and you'll find yourself under tribute, because the slothful shall be under tribute, according to Proverbs. So self-interest isn't bad, but greed is excessive self-interest. And but what is your interest? Are you interested in loving your neighbor as yourself? I mean, some people. Do men go to work just to get lots of money for themselves to buy their own toys? Well, some men do. Some men go to work to support their families and take care of their families and provide for their families and secure the life of their families so that they you know, if they if they were to die, their wife could finish raising up their children. And they go to work and they work hard. Is that self-interest? You know, if I plant an apple tree today. Am I going to eat the apples in two, three, four years? Or, you know, I don't know. There's probably some fruit trees that you have to have them planted for 10 years before you expect fruit. I'll be almost 80 before I can get any fruit out of that tree. But my children and grandchildren, your children and grandchildren can get it. So when you plant a potato, who does not plant a potato in the ground in hopes of getting seven potatoes back? Who does not plant a seed of wheat in the ground to get sevenfold back? That's capitalism. That's investing to get a return. Nothing about greed in that. Something about self-interest because you're going to need some bread this winter. You cut firewood. Why? To warm the house in the winter. 
I cut firewood to warm my house in the winter. I also cut firewood to warm a widow, local widow, in the winter. Uh, that's that's my choice. Other people cut firewood just to sell. And they get the money and they they can go buy beer or they can go pay for their kids or they can help out their neighbor. They can do whatever they want. Capitalism allows the individual choice. Socialism allows the community or the government it elects to choose for you. What do you do if if I give you $100? What are you going to do with it? You're going to do good with it? You're going to do evil with it? If I give you a talent, two talents, three talents, are you going to do good with it? Are you going to do evil with it? You have the right to decide good and evil. Or you have the right to be still and know what God wants you to do with it and choose to do what God wants you to do with it. But if you give that right to choice to somebody else, they get to decide what you're going to do with what you produce. Then you're giving them the power to decide good and evil. And whoever is elected by the community, you are now subject to because you have chosen to give the community the power to decide what is good and evil or to decide to do what God wants. That's that's a choice you're giving somebody else. You're taking the choice that God gave you in the garden, gave every man in the garden, and you're giving it to somebody else. From the beginning, God gave man dominion. That's what he intended. What you produce is yours. He didn't he didn't create government. Man created government. Nimrod created government. Cain created government. God didn't create government. God gave you the right to do it, but he didn't create it. You created it. Well, actually, God did create a government. He called it the church. And he says it can't be like other governments who exercise authority one over the other. So there's no compelled taxes in the government of God. But when you go to church, you're not going to the government of God. You're going to a bunch of ear ticklers. They're going to tell you that you're saved already because you said the magic words or you thought a thought. And everybody wants that guarantee. I want to, I want to know that I'm saved. Well, just say these words and you'll know that you're saved. But Jesus says many will say that they come in my name. Say that they come in my name. Say that they come in my name. But I'm going to tell them I know them not. Why? Because of what they do. They did not have a daily administration. They did not feed the hungry, take care of the needy. And did it say feed all? Because you didn't, whatever you do to anybody, you do to me. Is that what he said? You know, when they didn't feed the hungry and they didn't take care of the, you know, the, the people who uh, were in need or were in prison or were naked or whatever. He didn't say, whatever you do to anybody, you do to me. He said, whatever you do to my brethren, you do also to me. So it's his brethren you're supposed to be feeding. You're not supposed to be feeding the wicked. You're not supposed to be feeding the slothful. You're not supposed to be buying alcohol for the alcoholic. You're not supposed to be buying drugs for the drug addict. 
You're not supposed to be, you know, getting an apartment for the slothful. You're supposed to be feeding the brethren. Who are the brethren? He who does the will of my father is my brethren. You're supposed to be out there taking care of the brethren for those people who do the will of the father. So is there one group that does the will of the father and another group that doesn't? No, the reality is everybody might do the will of the Father sometimes. And some people might even do the will of the Father all the time. But most people do the will of the Father from time to time. And when they do the will of the Father, you should reward them if they need help. When they're not doing the will of the Father, you should not be rewarding them. You should not be giving them charity. Socialism gives them charity even when they don't do righteousness. I mean, the will of the Father is that you do righteousness. That's why it says, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That means you need to create a daily ministration that provides for those people who are also seeking righteousness. Not for every alcoholic, drug addict... Uh, slothful, lazy, no-good-for-nothing bomb out there in the world. You're not supposed to be helping them. You're supposed to let them fall on their face so that they repent, get up, and say, would you help me? See, now, right now, the government is encouraging them, and they're they're paying them to have children out of wedlock, and they're... And they don't care that you're immoral. They don't care that you're lazy. They don't care that you're a liar. That you're self-indulgent, whiny, foolish individual. You can qualify anyway. And they'll take money from you and give to them. And you have to give it because you signed up for the benefits of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, or your parents signed you up. People say, oh, but I need this social welfare. I need this extra money. I need this help from the government. Okay. Have you repented? Are you seeking another way? Are you turning around? You know how you break the yoke that binds you? Was it Christ only who told us how to do this? Is it Peter and Paul who only told us how to break the yoke that binds us? Who told us? I mean, if, if Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. Goes on in the and the next verse, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, in Luke fourteen nineteen, he says, for another said, I have bought five yokes of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. He's making excuses why not to be in the kingdom. You know, not to seek the kingdom. That's what everybody has. Oh, but we're so busy. I got to go to work. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. I could do lots of things. I could be going out making money now. Instead, I'm sitting here talking to you. 
I get all kinds of people that want to pay me money for my services. But I choose to spend this time serving God by telling you that the gospel of the kingdom of God is that you're supposed to be seeking it and its righteousness. You're not supposed to be seeking the benefits of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. You are not supposed to cheat on your taxes. You are supposed to be providing a daily ministration, pay your tally of bricks, but to provide a daily ministration to the needy of a society seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. If you're not doing that, don't expect to be free because that's how you break the yokes of bondage, which they tell you and we'll talk about next on the Tuesday of the Kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and i got to push all my buttons here. <laughs> okay. Um, we were talking about... Yokes. And, uh, the yoke is on you. <laughs> that, that is the case. You are yoked. Uh, you are in bondage. You are in a bondage worse than that of Egypt. Uh, you owe a tally of bricks and you have to pay that tally of bricks. But you have to start gleaning in the field at night for your straw. Straw was your benefit. This principle you'll find over and over again in the Bible and in the teachings of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Again, if you put the Old Testament and the New Testament on top of each other, the principles of God will pop up. That's difficult for a lot of people to see because they have a B-movie view of what the Pentateuch was really all about. They don't understand really what the Levites were doing. They owned all things in common. They belonged to God. They served the tents of the congregation, the tabernacles of the congregation. Because each house is a tabernacle. They also put up the big tabernacle in a different part of the kingdom every year, every month actually, so that people would go there and it would be a central place where people would uh, gather. Everybody in that area would gather. And sometimes Israel was, you know, when they first entered Canaan, they didn't kill everybody. This is another thing that came up. 
Canaan was peacefully overcome for the most part. There were battles, but those were die-hard archists. See, Israel was coming in with a system of government based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. In other words, all the money that went to support the government, specifically the government welfare, even the military, was in the hands of the private individual until they decided to release that. They could not be drafted. They could not be forced into public service. They did not have to work for 20% of the year for the government at the government's request, like you do in America and most countries, at their request by way of order. I mean, the oath of the United States says that you can be put to work at civilian work projects without question. That's required. If you have a passport, it is assumed in law that you have taken that oath. That's what it says in the books, on the books, in your Bible, in your government Bible, which has all your laws. You have to work for the government at civilian projects. Not just military. They don't just have, you know, they're trying to pass laws that can draft all the kids and all this stuff. It's already in existence. The right to say, okay, we're going to turn this on, this right that we have over you and your children. We can put your sons and make them run before our chariots. We can make your daughters our confectionaries. We can do all that now. It's on the books already. It's just they haven't said, okay, we're going to start doing that but they have the right to do it. When they do it, people will complain, and all oh, the government's usurping authority. No, it isn't. It has that authority because you ask the government to take away from your neighbor, take the sons away from your neighbor, take the daughter's labor away from their neighbor, take the labor away from your neighbor to provide you with benefits. And you even gave the government the power to borrow money against the future so your children and grandchildren are cursed with that bondage of debt. All this has come about because of your covetousness and your parents' covetousness. What is the opposite of covetousness? Charity. And that is what breaks the yoke. God says if you elect a leader who can exercise authority and allow him to take and take and take and take and take and take your sons and daughters, which you've already done, I will not hear you when you cry out. He says, I will not hear you in that day. That's what it says in there. I mean, that's in there. Your preacher down there at your sing-song, Tickle My Ears Church, is not going to tell you that. And so you can give him lots of money, and he'll keep telling you the tickle your ear gospel that doesn't bring you near righteousness or near God or near salvation. But he's going to tell you you're saved. And that will make you feel good. But you're going to be a part of those many, those many, that Jesus say, get ye from me, you workers of iniquity. Because you aren't feeding his brethren. You aren't clothing his brethren. You aren't coming to the aid of his brethren. You aren't sowing the breaches of his ministers. You aren't doing that. You're pretending to be saved. 
because you've thought a nice thought. You're loving people from the pew. And when you go out and give charity, you give it indiscretionately. You don't, you don't, now God may say, just give some money to that guy and don't even ask him any questions. God may tell you to do that. But is it God? Or is it just your imagination? Well, that's, you know, people, that was a question that came up. How do you know when it's the Holy Spirit? Well, what are you producing with this? Follow up, find out. It's one of the biggest things about charity when people give it is they don't follow it up. Well, they don't have ministers who got the time uh, to follow it up. They have ministers too busy writing the next sermon to tickle your ears or set up a music program or to do all these other things. The churches today don't take care of the social welfare of the needy. I had somebody actually said, well, we we needed to do that as a church back then because there was no other welfare around. I mean, this guy has absolutely no knowledge of history. I mean, what child has not heard of the free bread and circuses of Rome? They wrote poems about it, epics about it. And, and if you go back even 200 years before Christ, Polybius was writing about it, that this is why we were going to end up under tyrants. He prophesied that, that that's where they were going. Because How did he have that prophecy ability? Because he was a historian, and history repeats itself. You've done the exact same thing, and you're in worse bondage than ever. And now you want to break the yokes of bondage. So there's somebody to fill out these papers, turn them into the Commerce Department, and UUCC, and all this kind of stuff, and it's going to save you. You know? I always remember the story of in in, in, in the old movie of... Uh, with James Gardner, support your local sheriff, and they hand him the sheriff's badge. And there's a big dent in it where it stopped a bullet. And he says to Frank Morgan, he says, wow, uh, that uh, that badge must have saved his life. And uh, Frank says, well, it would have. It wasn't for all them other bullets coming in from everywhere. And uh, that's that's what's going on today you know you you change one little thing and you think oh now i'm going to be saved but you're doing all these other things wrong you're neglecting all these other things i mean you you're rich with benefits at the expense of your neighbor and this is this is why you're a worker of iniquity you got all these excuses why you you're not to do this, and, and this guy who was talking about capitalism is always greed motivated. The fact that he can't see anything beyond that tells me that he's a greedy guy. I mean, there's nothing more greedy than a socialist. He wants stuff at the expense of others. The real capitalist wants stuff because he planted this tree and this tree and this tree and this tree, and he created a whole orchard and. He, hosed them all of weeds and he watered them all and protected them from the deer and he, and he pruned them and finally he gets a crop. He gets more peaches or apples or whatever than he can ever eat. So he sells them to people. That's not greed. Because he's going to get that money back and he's going to raise his children and he's going to teach them how to raise an orchard. That's capitalism. 
Greed is something different. You can have greed in socialism. You can have greed in poverty. You can have greed in, in, in any of these systems. But it's not automatic. Like I say, most people who plant a tree, they don't do it because they're greedy. They do it because they want to see something grow and they want to produce fruit and they want to have an apple pie. From the beginning, Leviticus 25.10, which is Leviticus is the book for the Levites to tell them how to do things. And he said, and that's the government who's not supposed to exercise authority but to provide services for the people that bind the people together out of love and honor for one another because everything that is given to the Levites is freely given. As long as people are freely giving, people say, well, I want to be a part of that. Well, the part you need to be is the giving part. And hope that you might receive, because it's not a system of entitlement. It's not a guarantee. Even your system of entitlements are not a guarantee, if you read the fine print. But it says in uh, Leviticus 25.10, And ye shall hollow the fiftieth year, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land, Unto all the inhabitants thereof, it shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possessions. And you and you shall return every man unto his family. In the year of jubilee, ye shall return every man unto his possession. That's verse thirteen. They repeat it. Over and over again. I mean, in, in 25, 27. And he may return unto his possessions. They're constantly telling you that. If you own it, the community doesn't. That simple. The, God wants you to own your own stuff. Even the Levites, they did not have everything in common as a personal estate, but they had to respect what every man had. It was by custom. You know, why Why were the Levites chosen? Because they created a golden calf, which was a common purse, which runs to do evil. You go read our article on common purse. Go read our article on golden calf. Golden calf was the central bank where everybody took everything they owned and they put it in the central bank and they got something back in exchange that they could use as if it were money, as if it had value. But why did they do that? You know, all the city-states, I shouldn't say all, many of the city-states had a golden statue in the middle. You know what they called it? The Reserve Fund. Why? Because it was they had a treasury that had coins to pay for the cost of government, but they also had this reserve fund that was saved up that everybody was to defend. And it kept people together because the money in your pocket was only of value in this city-state. That's why the Spartans outlawed gold. You only had lead money. It was worthless anywhere else. But within Sparta, you could buy and sell stuff with this worthless lead money. But if you had gold and silver, 
you could pack up and leave and go somewhere else and you would not be destitute when you arrived. You would have something of value. Maybe you only have lead. Nobody wants, I mean, you'd have to carry a whole bunch of it to have that much value. And lead's heavy. They didn't want you to have wealth because if you had your own wealth, when the enemy attacked, you might flee. You might not stay and help. You might try to save yourself. So they want to take that out of the equation. And they, by doing that, but they put all the money and the value and the purse in the single statue. But Moses said, no, you're to carry the value of your possessions. And if you're going to carry it in money, you're supposed to carry it in your own purse. Not in a central treasury. So what binds you? Why do you stay and defend your neighbor? Because you love your neighbor. Why do you love your neighbor? So why do you love your neighbor? Because your neighbor has expressed love for you in the past. He's he's freely given to the Levites who provided you with welfare when your dad was sick, when your parents died, whatever. I mean, the Levites became the Google source of information. If you didn't know, you asked the Levites. Why? Because the Levites were in the business of helping people, serving the tents of the tabernacle, the tents of the congregation. The tents of the tabernacle are all those tents that are set up around the tabernacle. Why are they set up around the tabernacle? Because they're looking to this network of Levite ministers for their social welfare. And the Levite ministers can only help out people when people freely give. Because they can't force a tax. Because the people weren't under tribute. They had no king. But they had a government. The government just simply did not exercise authority over them. It did exercise authority over what people gave them. When the people gave them the kidneys, the reins of control. Kidneys, reins, same word. And they gave them the reins of control of the sacrifice of the people, freely given, free will sacrifices, which we call charity today. They had the reins of control of that, and they could distribute it in the way that they saw fit that would strengthen the poor. Because they had to strengthen the poor. That's a, that's a requirement. It's not just give to the poor. But you have to give to the poor in a way that strengthens them. You get $10 out the window to a guy on the street. How did you strengthen him? You felt good, but did you strengthen him? Did you follow up? Did you find out? Did he go and buy booze with this? Did he go and buy drugs with this? Maybe I didn't strengthen him. I made him weaker. Did he go and buy a porn magazine with it? What did he do with it? You don't know. You don't know that you strengthened him. Well, that made me feel good, so it must be the Holy Spirit. No. It may not be the Holy Spirit. you got to think about this. you got to pray about this. Are you creating a network, a daily ministration that strengthens the poor? If you're not, you're not doing a very good job of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we, we have to turn around and go another way. 
a way of righteousness. And that doesn't mean that you stop paying your taxes. You may still owe your taxes. But if you want to break the bonds, the yoke, and there's a number of places in the Bible that talks about this, you have to create that system of daily ministration. That, that's just the way it works. If you don't create it, you don't have it. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. What? Remember I said he wasn't going to hear you? That's what he said. You pick a leader who's going to exercise authority. I mean, one of the first things Saul did was he forced a sacrifice of the people. He, he did it for, you know, because he had to build his army. He was afraid that they were going to attack. But Samuel said he had done foolishly. Because he did this. He did foolishly. If we go read Isaiah 58, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sin. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation, as a nation, not just a little congregation, that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God, which is includes thou shalt not covet. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. How do you draw near God? Sacrifice. That hasn't changed. You can't just say you love Jesus and actually be... It's not those who say, but those who do. That's what Jesus said. That's the gospel. That's the doctrine of Jesus. When Peter was and, and Paul were talking to people and he said, we, he was talking to people that were already doing that. You're not doing it. He wasn't talking to you. <laughs> you got to get that in your head. If you're not doing what he says, Paul wasn't talking to you. You got to be doing what Jesus said. And if you really believe him, you would be doing it. But no, you're full of your eschatologies and theologies and your interpretations of the Bible, but you don't even do the basics. you got to do the basics. you got to think kingdom, nation, not just your little goopy, goopy goop. <laughs> Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not. Wherefore, have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the days of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. They're not being heard on high because they're fast, they're sacrificed. You know, when they, people say, oh, I gotta go do this, I gotta go do that, fast. You know, oh, I, I got this money, I wanted to go to the game, no, take the money and give it away. That's sacrifice, that's fasting from self-indulgence. You're gonna do something different with it. Now, don't just give it away indiscriminately. Give it away where it will strengthen the poor. Spread the gospel. 
So he says, Behold, ye fast for strife and debate. You know, whose religious eschatology is correct? Whose religious eschatology is more right? Is it such a fast that I have chosen? No, that's not the fast he has chosen. A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou cast this fast an acceptable day of the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen. There he tells you to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke. Is it not to deal with bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. We're being told how you loose the bands of wickedness, that you break every yoke. And you do this with pure religion, a daily ministration by faith, hope, and charity in that perfect law of liberty by the Corbin of Christ, not the Corbin of the benefactors that exercise authority or the fathers of the earth. And he said, As then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and the speaking vanities, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. You want God to hear your prayers? Start hearing the prayers of others seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Start gathering together in, with those individual souls. Because he's talking about souls here. Souls that are hungry. Souls that are afflicted. What, what are they hungry for? They're hungry for the truth. We get out on a few radio stations and, and make a few recordings and a hundred, a thousand may see it. Why not a million? There's seven, what is it, eight billion people almost in the world. Who is hearing this message of righteousness, of caring about one another? This is what Christ told us to do. If you believe in Christ, you would want to tell others to do this. People says, no, you don't have to know what Christ actually said, what Christ actually did, what Christ actually was telling us to do. You just have to believe in him. Well, how can you do that if you don't know who he is? No, say, oh, well, I know who he was. He was the son of God. What does that mean? 
You have to know who he was. Intimately know what he was saying. And he was saying not those who say, but those who do. And all the people who say not what you do, but what you say, saves you, is a liar and demonic or a fool and ignorant. Because it is what you do. Not that you earn salvation, but what you do draws you near the Lord. And then he will awaken you more. He will open your eyes. He will hear your prayers. Time is running out. You don't have time to make excuses. You don't have time to waste. You don't have time to divide one another. You need to come together. And you need to give to one another to create those bonds of love for one another. This is the way it works. From the foundation of uh, of the world, this is the way it was. From generation to generation. And uh, that I was reading from Isaiah 58. We'll look a little bit more at that when we come back. But you need to know the truth about yourself and about God. I'll be right back. you were reading last in Isaiah 58, but we were also looking at Leviticus and, and what the Levites were really supposed to be doing, because whatever God told them to do, that's also what Jesus told us to do. Except for Jesus, you know, in the Old Testament, we had this impression from the Pharisees that you just had to keep the law, and then God would save you. But Jesus said you, you not only had to keep the law, you had to want to keep the law. And the truth is, you can't keep the law unless you want to keep the law. And uh, that was not the intent, was that all you had to do was keep the law, and then God would, because he knew you couldn't keep the law unless you wanted it, unless you loved it. So, what Jesus said, you know, if, if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart. If you're coveting your neighbor's goods, if you just desire to be a socialist, you know, you're already coveting your neighbor's goods in your heart. And and you don't see it, but you don't need to see it. Because you don't want to see it doesn't mean that you're excused. And the only reason you don't see it is you don't want to see it. You don't want to see the truth. Same as a lot of you are listening to this and you don't want to believe that you need to gather in a congregation of people and start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. And you can't just care about those people that are in your local gathering. People think, oh, well, we can't form a congregation. We're all so spread out. I can't drive. Who said you have to meet in the same room to be a congregation? You have to meet in the same spirit, and spirit is not subject to space and time. 
So you have to meet with the same spirit, which is the spirit of Christ. And yes, you're spread out. So what? So what that you're spread out? That actually is an advantage because you can learn to love people without them scratching your back, making you feel good, glad-handing you. I mean, there's a certain community in, in meeting together in the same room that is satisfying. You know, it's, it, I don't want you to all go to Facebook because Facebook creates an illusion. It's a virtual community, not a virtuous community. People sit there and they spouse all kinds of ideas, but they don't actually take care of one another. People can die and people on Facebook won't even know. They just don't see any more posts coming from them. <laughs> they didn't know they were dying. They didn't know they were sick. Nobody told them. And they don't care anyway. You know, the, cause if, because it's real, you can sit in your house and type on your keyboard, we'll pray for you. We don't have to actually do anything. It doesn't cost us anything. We've strayed away from the righteousness of God. We have to go back that way. We have to rethink what we're doing, what we're, what we're saying, how we're functioning in the world. And start caring about other people. And then the light shall break, like the morning. Then we, our darkness will no longer be dark. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually. That's what you need. Because it, in really bad times, you're not going to just need the policies of the Holy Spirit. You're going to need the direct guidance of the Holy Spirit. And he's telling you, way back in the Old Testament, the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden... And like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And they shall be of thee, and they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundation of my generation, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach the restore of paths to dwell in. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shall thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. 
for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So what does it mean, uh, this Sabbath thing? And we have an article on that, a detailed article. It talks all about the Sabbath and what the Sabbath really means and how it works. The Sabbath is about debt. Not going, you know, people, people want stuff. I know somebody just bought a Harley Davidson motorcycle because he wanted stuff. And uh, he really thought it was what he wanted. It was going to make him happy. And, and he certainly can do that. But he had to borrow money to do it. Borrowing to have pleasure today is not keeping the Sabbath. Sabbath is about working and then buying, staying out of debt. You know, most of the people in, in the United States, if if you had a silver dime in your pocket, you would be richer and no debt. You'd be richer than most of the people in the United States. Yet, most of the people in the United States are born in debt. You know, most people, when, if people, most people think, well, I don't owe anybody any money, I don't have any debt. You're a U.S. citizen, you have debt. You have billions of dollars worth of debt. You personally are responsible for thousands of tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And that's the way it is. Then, and you can't hardly do anything about it. But if you want to loosen those bands, those yokes that bind you, God and Christ and the Holy Spirit will provide a way. But you have to start, go, and take care of the needy. Not just the needy who, you know, are too lazy to work or the needy who are, you know, get drunk or take drugs or, you know, whatever. You know, I told the story about the guy who came up and approached my wife and I for money. And I asked him, I says, well, do you have a job? No, didn't have a job. Uh, we, we just live in a camp out outside of town. I says, well, do you want a job? He says, no, no, no. Uh, we just choose this lifestyle. And, you know, it's, that's what he basically comes down to. It's just a lifestyle choice not to work. And he could get away with it. Because he had a guy that come around and help register them so that he could get food stamps and all that stuff. And he gave them a dress. They didn't all live there. They camped out most of the time. But he's taking a cut. He's filling out the paperwork, getting it all in, and, and and getting them on welfare and food stamps. And he's probably also collecting charity because he says he's helping out the homeless. But he's actually ex- extending their period of time as homeless people. He's facilitating their sloth. He's not strengthening the poor. And he's using the system to do it, and he's making good money doing it. Because he has a bunch of people that he's doing this with. It's, it's unbelievable. But this is the way it operates. This is the way it goes. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones. What, what are we talking about here? Make fat thy bones. The... Uh, we also find in the book where it talks about dry bones. 
so what are the dry bones? What what are the and, and how do we get flesh on those dry bones? We have an article on that too. You know, you have to realize that the reason you're in this bondage is because you were slothful and covetous, and your parents were before you. They were good churchgoers, but they were covetous. They were absolutely content obtaining benefits at the expense of their neighbor. That was okay. And the churches say that's okay. We live in a wonderful government that provides all these benefits. The government provides no benefits whatsoever. Absolutely zero, zilch, no benefits whatsoever. The government takes from your neighbor and gives you what your neighbor is providing. But your neighbor doesn't have the choice in that. It doesn't have the charity in that. It doesn't have the faith in that. Unless you count allegiance as faith. And they it's taken from there. These are the benefactors who exercise authority. That's how you take care of one another. And yet Jesus said it was not to be that way with you. How wrong can you get? How can you imagine that you're saved while you're doing by policy the exact opposite of what Jesus said to do and not to do? He says not to be that way. You are that way, and you tell me you believe in Jesus. I do not think you believe in the same Jesus I believe in, which is the Jesus, the Yeshua, the Christ. Ezekiel 37.1, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones. That is where the people are today. But the Lord asked, Son of man, can these bones live? So what did he do? So what do you do? He said, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. Jesus said to his apostles, Receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed upon them. These bones were to come together with the breath of the Lord. Do you see what we've done? Through covetousness, we have become merchandise. We have cursed our children. We say we are Christians, but we do not follow the way. We say, Lord, Lord, but we do not do the will of the Father. The will of the Father is to care for one another. You want your eyes opened up. You want to draw near the Lord. You guys start doing what God said. You, well, you can't do enough to earn it. God will not owe it to you. But if you do not do, you do not act, then you are by sloth a worker of iniquity. These bones were to come together with the breath of the Lord, and then he would cause sinew to come upon you and will bring forth flesh upon you and cover you with skin. But life is not seen in the body at first when the bones are still separate. 
but only when your body comes together, then he will bring breath into the whole body. And that body will be alive too. So they would not come alive even after they came together until there was a prophecy unto the wind. After the breath came into them and they lived and stood up upon their feet, they began an exceeding great army. They became a, 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 an exceeding great army. These bones were the whole of the house of Israel, whose bones were dried, and their hope was lost, and they were scattered. This is the church today that is scattered. This is the church that needs to come together to be these dry bones. This house of Israel. That's one of the another one of these false doctrines. That Israel is something separate than the church. That they, that the Jews did not accept Jesus. Those people on Pentecost, thousands one day, thousands the next day, those are all Jews, and they were all accepting Jesus. Some of the Sanhedrin even accepted Jesus. Here's the apostles, accepted by thousands of Jews, appointed by Christ, who says that it had a kingdom that his father had given him. He was the only king in Judea, in Israel. Herod Antipas was not in, in Jerusalem. That's what I meant to say, not Israel, but Jerusalem. He, he was in Galilee. But there was no king, because the kingdom had been divided into three parts. And no king sat in Jerusalem. And Jesus sat in Jerusalem. And the next king that tried to sit in Jerusalem, his, his belly ruptured open and he died, sinning against God and man. Jesus was king. Hailed as king, highest son of David, he was king. And he appointed that kingdom to his apostles. And they what? Worked daily in the temple, which was the government building. When James was thrown off the wall, that city was doomed. But the kingdom of God is not a place. It's wherever the faithful take their feet. And they took it out of Jerusalem that day. And with those faithful, loyal to the king of Israel, the highest son of David, following in his ways, that was Israel. That church was Israel. Your church may not be. <laughs> Your church may be something else, made up by men, not doing the will of the Father, not doing what the early church did, not taking care of the needy of society, not coming together in faith, hope, and charity. I don't know what your church is, but it's not preaching the doctrines of Christ if it's not maintaining and feeding the sheep by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. The church is not a building, but is the people who come together and receive the breath of the Lord as they repent of their slothful ways and rise up and become doers of the word. The church was the government of God and did not exercise authority, but charity and love through faith and hope, according to the perfect law of liberty. That's what it was doing. Is that what your church is doing? Oh, we gave to the missions in South America. You know, we sent money to the Philippines. But everybody in your church is either on some sort of welfare. 
they're getting a government check. Oh, well, we have to. If we didn't, we wouldn't be able to get by. Well, where's the faith in that? I'm not saying stop taking the check. I'm saying turn around and start looking for another way. And that way includes gathering together and giving regularly to a local congregation to help take care of the needy. And to build a network so that not just ten families, but a hundred families and a hundred hundred families and ten thousand families and a million families are dependent upon the faith, open charity. And now most people will work, not need any help. And most of the help they get can be just locally done. And there are all kinds of things that you could do. There are people living in poverty trying to live separate. Why not work and live I'm not talking about a commune here, but live together as a family, small groups as a family. Not one guy trying to maintain rent. Get together in a place with three, four, five guys and share rent. Gals, you get together with gals. Don't you gals go living with guys to save rent. You know, we can do this together. If you're not married, don't live together, period. That's it. That's the way you do it. Otherwise, you create, even if you're not having marital relationships, you create a, a marital relationship of emotional support. You don't do that till you're married. You keep separate. You don't have surrogate relationships as if you were husband and wife. Come together, work together, learn to forgive one another, take care of one another, and with your surplus, cast it out on the waters to help others. Find people who are diligent workers and support them. Who can bring you into the land of Israel. The land of Israel is where God prevails. It's not a geographical location. That's very important for you to understand that. This land of Israel. Who can call you to come up out of your graves? Because the dead are burying the dead. The dead are doing work for the the fathers of the earth and bring you into the land of Israel. Who can do that? I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen. Whoa. So much for British Israel. (laughs) We have to go out and look for those who are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you go to the local churches, nobody comes. They don't come to the wedding feast. They don't They don't want to set up a daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity. They just give their token charity to, you know, the Philippines or someplace, and they say, well, we're charitable. Who wants to really set up and take care of the needy? I mean, the only ones who do it are the Amish. People say, oh, well, we're so burdened with all these taxes and all these expenses. The Amish are exempt from Obamacare because they were doing it already. How do you figure you're going to get exempt? How do you think you're going to get saved? How do you think you're going to get the coverture of Christ? How do you think you're going to get the light of Christ if you won't even do the basics? 
Modern Christians have rejected God, like Israel rejected God, that he should not rule over them. Nobody says it's going to be easy. It is going to take sacrifice. We've gone out of the way, following the ways of the world, while professing his name in vain, because we're not actually doing what Christ said to do. And we need to change that. You know, if you look, listen to Justin the Martyr, it says, and those who came, uh, you know, he says, and those who have among us help the needy, and we always keep together, and for all things wherewith we are supplied, we bless the Maker of all through his Son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Ghost. If I give you a hundred bucks, you'll feel like you owe me. You feel indebted to me. But they don't do it that way. They give up control through this certain kind of ministry who owned all things in common. They give up the control of something and they supply this. And the only reason they can supply the needy of their society is because other people have anonymously given, secretly given. You know, I mean, the minister knew who gave it to them, but the guy who receives it, people say, you know, what would you ever do with that $20 I sent you? I haven't got a clue what I did with your $20 bill. You know, I can, I can give you a list of things that I've done with the donations that it received, but where your $20 bill went, I haven't got a clue. It may have gone to help cut firewood for the old lady. It may have gone to help change the colostomy bag for the old man who we used to take care of. Or, you know, it may have gone to all kinds of things. But are we actually doing? Are we actually creating a system of social welfare based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty? I mean, I don't know a charitable hospital anywhere that doesn't take government money. Uh, there might be some. Uh, you know, one of the amazing things, you know, Rockefeller, everybody's got such a bad name for Rockefeller, the original Rockefeller. He probably did all kinds of bad things, but, man, that guy was charitable. He gave a lot to charities. Now, eventually they gave charities to places they probably shouldn't have given to, but the point is, is just that, even that blessed him. You need to give wisely and consistently to somebody seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.